0: Shalom Welcome to this week's Kadima podcast, where we'll be talking about building warriors, making sheepdogs. The first step in doing this is trading fear for trust. And as I speak to you today, we're still in the middle of the elections. It's not been decided who is the president-elect yet. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of deceit. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of voter fraud. There's a lot of things happening right now. And I share this because Radical Times requires radical people. Radical situations requires radical faith, radical trust. And we must return the emasculated body of Messiah, the emasculated church, back to one of spiritual warriors of sheepdogs. The first step in this is trading fear for trust. Exodus three verse four When Adonai saw that he'd gone over to sea, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moshe, Moshe, and he answered, Here I am. Brokenness involves removing inappropriate pride and self-reliance. America has a great issue in this area. In fact, you hear this in our culture, you hear it in our media, in our movies, in our entertainment, that we're a self-made nation, we're a self-made man, safe self-made millionaire, self-made this, self-made that. But the reality is God wants us broken and contrite before him to trade our fear for trust, trust in him. There is an inherent pride in self reliance, self made men, self made women. Psalms 34, verse 18 Adonai is near those with broken hearts. He saves those whose spirit is crushed. When pride and self reliance is broken, a healthy, godly reliance is built. God tamed Moses' self reliance and pride, which is what he had learned in Egypt, but he had to tame it in the desert. To create trust in God, He must break men's fear. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Listen, in this time and season we're in, I never thought I would see this in my life. It's so easy to see how through the auspices of fear that people will submit to just about anything. Again, in this time frame, as I'm speaking to you, we're coming into early winter. The COVID cases are increasing drastically, and yet, we've already been under a mask mandate for four or five months. And yet, we can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. You can't travel. You can't do anything without a mask on. Yet, contrary to the science, wearing masks is not stopping the continuation of the spread of COVID-19. So what we see is there are people now submitting to fear and doing whatever they were told include taking a vaccine. Could that be the mark? Time will tell. But God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Moses dealt with different kinds of fear in his God encounters. He had fears concerning himself in Exodus 3.11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? In verse 12 of Exodus 3, he replied, I will surely be with you. The Lord said, I will be with you. Your sign that I have sent you will be that when you have led the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God responded by assuring Moshe of his purposes. He said, the sign you'll know that I'm with you is when you're out of Egypt and you're on this mountain. He had to overcome fears concerning God. In Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, look, when I appear before the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What am I to tell them? God responded by overwhelmingly presence before Moses. He replied, I am that I am. He had to overcome fear concerning others. In Exodus 4 verse 1, Moshe replied, but I'm certain they won't believe me. They won't listen to what I say because they'll say, Adonai did not appear to you. God responded by demonstrating his power and his commitment. The staff, the zurus on the hand, the healings, the signs and wonders. And you know, this is God's MO. Yeshua, throughout his ministry, demonstrated the power of God, then shared about the kingdom. When God speaks to Moses to overcome his fear concerning others, he did so by demonstrating his power. Moses had to overcome fear concerning his ability. Moses said he couldn't speak. In Exodus 4, verses 14 through 16, at this, Adonai's anger blazed up against Moshe. He said, don't you have a brother, Aaron the Levi? I know that he's a good speaker. In fact, here he is now, coming out to meet you, and he'll be happy to see you. Verse 15, you will speak to him and put the words in his mouth, And I will be with your mouth and his, teaching you both what to do. Verse 16, thus, he will be your spokesman to the people. In effect, for you, he will be a mouth, and for him, you will be like God. Listen, it really takes several chapters here in Exodus for God to break Moshe's will. God even gets mad at a place here when Moses continues to push back on this calling, this divine destiny with God. With his fears overcome, Moshe finally places himself into the Lord's hands. Life is about these choices, these sacrifices. It's a trade-off. Moshe sacrifices his status as a possible ruler of Egypt, along with all the material wealth and the status that goes along with that position to prepare for his kingdom calling, his prophetic destiny and purpose, to redeem Israel from slavery, then to fulfill it. Many get to the calling part, but they don't get forth to fulfill their calling. Many are called, few are chosen. To fulfill his call, Moshe had to once again relinquish the safety, the security, and obscurity of the desert to lead Israel out of Egypt. He had to go back into harm's way, back to a land, remember, where he is a murderer. He killed an Egyptian taskmaster, a slave overseer. He's wanted for murder. Don't think Moses didn't have just a little anxiety regarding the mission. If you want to lead if you want to be a usable tool for God, if you want to fulfill your kingdom, destiny, and calling, if you want to be a true warrior in God's velvet army, you must be willing to make sacrifices. You'll have to make the difficult choices. And in this hour, in this season, what's going on around us as the nations are in a rage, God is raising up revolutionary warriors, those who were sold out and dedicated to him, no matter what the cost. Remember, they overcame by the word of the testimony and the blood of the lamb, and loved not their lives unto death. God's looking for the radical and the revolutionary in these hours. Leaders are those who are disciplined. They have to find time for both prayer and solitude. Solitude does not come naturally or easily. Other great leaders from Lincoln to Churchill to Edison followed Yeshua's example of setting aside quiet times. Strategic withdrawal is a necessary part of the process. Yeshua himself did this, often going into the wilderness to pray. George Washington said, Discipline is the soul of an army. It makes us small numbers formidable. It procures success to the weak and esteem to all. Harry S. Truman said, In reading the lives of great men, I found that the first victory they won was over themselves. Self-discipline with all of them comes first. God is raising up warriors who were disciplined in the art and skill of spiritual warfare. In Joel 2, starting in verse 7, this is like warriors, they charge, they scale the wall like soldiers. Each one keeps to his own course without getting in the other's way. They don't jostle each other, but stay on their own paths. They burst through defenses unharmed without even breaking rank. They rush into the city. They run along the wall. They climb up into the houses, entering like a thief through the windows. Verse 10, at their advance, the earth quakes and the sky shakes. The sun and the moon turn black and the stars stop shining. Verse 11, Adonai shouts orders to his forces. His army is immense and mighty and it does what he says. For great is the day of Adonai, fearsome, terrifying, who can endure it? This obedience to be a warrior, it requires discipline. Discipline in prayer and reading the word and following God. True victory lies in the discipline of staying committed, of running the good race, as Shaul said. You must develop discipline. Discipline is doing what you really don't want to do so that you can do what you really want to do. What makes it hard is that in your own human nature, we do not want to do certain things. And so what happens is we have a tendency to be undisciplined in the areas that we do not care to do. Three areas which we need to be developed disciplined are, one, disciplined thinking. George Bernard Shaw said, few people think more than two or three times a year. I've made an international reputation for myself by thinking once or twice a week. People who understand how to get to the top and stay there are people who think their way to the top. One of the major differences in this discipline of thinking is that people that think their way to the top have the ability to do what I call sustained thinking. They have the ability to think on an issue for a long period of time until that issue becomes clear on the decision that should be made people who do not think their way to the top have the unwillingness of discipline to master sustained thinking. They'll think about something for a while and then they'll get off it and go to something else. This is so critical in our day and age of uh, hyper speed and computers and technology. We want something to come immediately. We want it in a nanosecond. And yet what we're being told here is that we have to pause and sustain long-term thinking with discipline and with tenacity to get to the end of what God is calling us to do. And if not, then we get distracted and move on to something else. They have never learned how to discipline their thoughts by writing them down. I often keep a pad of things that I'm thinking about. I actually do this on my cell phone. I text myself or I use the notes in my Apple phone And when I have something, a thought that hits me, I write it down so that I can come back and concentrate on it and focus on what God wants me to do in this area. That's part of the discipline of leadership. We have to discipline our emotions. This, my friends, is a secret weapon. We have two choices when it comes to our emotions. One, we can master them, or two, they can master us. From that basic understanding of self-discipline, we look at an example of a woman who showed great self-discipline in her own life and reaped the divine heavenly rewards for her efforts. This is the wife of noble character in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. You know, and I've done this on purpose, uh, Mishpocha, for those that are listening, because leaders aren't relegated to just men. We've got the Esters, We've got the Dvorahs. We've got many examples of strong biblical female leadership. It's not relegated to just men. And here we have a perfect example of the wife of noble character of Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. This is a scripture we often read at weddings and marriages. We we talk about this on Mother's Day, but she may be a literal woman in scripture or this may be wisdom personified. Either way, she teaches some important things about self-discipline and leadership that we all must inherently walk by. As we read through this following list, think about how you can integrate some of these character traits into your own life as a leader. Remember, a person who disciplines his or her character is one who is noble and greatly valued, verse 10 of Proverbs 31, gets the job done regardless of what it takes and has the full confidence of others in verse 11, works hard enough to make a profit, verses 11 through 15, delays gratification and pleasure to invest his or her profits and then tirelessly work his or her investments for the maximum return, verses 16 through 19. Generously participates in the larger community by sharing his or her profits with the needy, verse 20. Has no fear of the future, Proverbs 30, verses 21 through 27. And is honored, respected, and admired, praised, and rewarded, verses 28 through 31. So let me just walk through this again. The the person who is disciplined His or her character. Remember, I've shared this before. We talk a lot about character. Listen, when you were born, you can't uh, pick your parents. You didn't get to choose your eye color, your skin color, your hair color. In fact, out of 35 million chromosomes, those that make up our skin, eye, and hair color are less than 3,000, and they're so inconsequential that the scientists don't even study it. It it doesn't – your color, your height, your eye color, your skin color does not define who you are. That's not your genetic destiny. What it is is what's carried through from generational from the seed of the man to the seed of the man in that Y chromosome. You have no control over that. But your character, this is something you can hone. This is something you can build over time. Adversity is the womb of character. Difficult times is what proves the meddling character of a person which results in radical warriors for the kingdom of God and sheepdogs in the sheep pen. So though a person who disciplines his or her character is one who is noble and greatly valued, gets the job done, regardless of what it takes, and has the full confidence of others. This is a person who works hard enough to make a profit, who delays gratification and pleasure to invest his or her profits, then tirelessly works for his or her investments for maximum return. This is a person who generously participates in the larger community by sharing his or her profits with the needy has no fear of the future, and is honored, respected, admired, praised, and rewarded. These are really phenomenal, and I just love this chapter, and I pray you go back and reread this yourself. Next, we have to have disciplined actions. I call the two actions of initiating and closing the bookends of success because they really are. I know many people that can initiate. I've met many over the years that have begun the, the baby steps of ministry, but they never close. They never seal the deal. They can't get it moving forward. I've shared this so often. It's a long process. You have to dedicate the time. You have to be committed. You have to be fastidious. You have to, be, uh, you have, to have initiative. you got to be a self-starter, and you got to discipline yourself. Listen, I've said I retired from 22 years of Navy service. For 20 of those 22 years, I got up every morning at 4.30 a.m., Every morning, day after day, week after week, year after year. When I retired from service, you know, I'm thinking, hey, I don't have to work out anymore. I don't have to stay physically fit. I don't have to get a haircut. I don't have to get up. But it only takes a week or two of retirement and coming back into serving the Lord that it's like, hey, I got to get up. I have to be a steward of the time the Lord gave me. I have to have initiative. I got to get up and get into the office. There's a commitment to the people of God. There's a commitment to the kingdom of God. And listen, it's not just starting the congregation, but it's being able to close the deal. When you can do both, you have bookends of success. So many can see the target, but they're not able to pull the trigger. It takes day after day of getting up, of persevering. Have we had failures? Sure, we have. Have we wandered off the path? Sure, we have. But we call that failing forward, dusting ourselves off, getting up, and getting back in the game and sticking with it day after day after day. If you think you're going to be a leader and be free from all troubles and difficulties and xeris, Miss Pacha, you got another thing coming. Life is filled with adversities. The good news is Yeshua tells us He has overcome all things. But you have to be willing to get into fight, get a little dirty, get a, you know. When you're with the sheep, you, you you smell like the sheep. You get a little sheep dung on you. It's, it's a little rough sometimes out there. But you got to get in there and get in the game. James one verses twenty through to, through twenty five says, "Don't deceive yourselves by only hearing what the word says, but do it." See, it's, it's got to take action. It's not just saying it, but it's doing it. And we, we see this manifest out in the Messianic movement. I've had so many pastors tell me over the years, oh, you know, Rabbi, we just love Leviticus. And we've taught on the feast days for years, but it's not hearing what the word says, but doing it. Verse 23, for whoever hears the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, who looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but if a person looks closely into the perfect Torah, which gives freedom and continues becoming not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work it requires, then he will be blessed in what he does. Listen, the only way that you can keep leading, and this is critical, listen to me, if anything I've said in this podcast, the only way you can keep leading, the only way you are maintaining your relevancy in this world today is that you keep growing. Because the day you stop growing, somebody else has already taken the leadership baton. That's always the way it will be. The minute you plateau, the minute you stop honing your skills, the minute you stop self-disciplining yourself, the minute you stop pressing yourself to move forward every day, that's it. Someone else has got it. And remember, we're called to be warriors, sheepdogs. Laziness is the enemy of discipline. Servanthood, which is all of this, is a humble, obedient reliance on the Father, birthed by an awareness of his unconditional love, which is expressed by disciplined action to benefit others and carry out in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, your divine destiny and calling in the kingdom of God. Servanthood may involve a menial or a hidden task, but it may also involve a very public deed done without concern for one's reputation or gain. But there are barriers to the servanthood. There are barriers to becoming a warrior. It's laziness. It's selfishness, It's pride, arrogance, a lack of humility. But the greatest of these is laziness. A lazy person hates work. Proverbs 21, verse 25. A lazy man's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. Listen, if I had a dollar for every person that's come to me in the last 20 years and said, Rabbi, would you mentor me? uh, I, I would, I swear I'd have a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. I'm embellishing there a little bit, but you get the point. And, and the reality is when you start laying out the process of what it takes to do this, nine out of 10 walk away. And, and why is that? Because it's hard work. It, listen, I've I, got to be transparent here. There's mornings. I don't want to get up. There's mornings. I just don't want to face what's ahead of me that day. We deal with so much of, of life's difficult times, of the joys and the victories, but also the times of mourning and the loss. And, you know, we go from weddings to funerals. It's a wide spectrum of what we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And, uh, but it's hard work. It takes study. It takes commitment. And you've got to press into this. No one's going to take you by the hand and say, well, here's how you do this. Do this. Do that. There's got to be initiative on your part to do something. But a lazy person, they hate work. And so many walk away, they think, man, I would just love to do this up there preaching that word and changing people's lives. But they don't want to know about the thousands of hours in the background of honing your own leadership skills, of learning the hard way, of of people turning on you and people not being loyal to you. It's a very difficult place. Listen, in the end, the retirement is out of this world. But while we're here, it's difficult and it requires hard work. Next, a lazy person makes excuses. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The lazy person says there's a lion in the streets. A lion is roaming loose out there. And what is that? It's an excuse to not get out and do what we're supposed to be doing. A lazy person becomes a servant or a debtor. Proverbs 12, verse 24 says, work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Hey, let me say that again. Proverbs 12, verse 24. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Hmm. A lazy person is poor. Proverbs 13, verse 4. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper and be satisfied. Slothfulness violates God's purpose, good works. In fact, we're told in the Colossians to do everything as if we're doing it for the Lord himself. Whether you're mowing your grass, taking the trash out, washing your vehicle, helping others, carrying the groceries for your neighbor, the Lord empowers followers to overcome humans' propensity to laziness by giving us a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is united with the Messiah, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Look, what has come is fresh and new. Your success, not only in the kingdom of God, but in life in general, is up to one person only, you. You know, a lot of people looking for a sugar daddy God. I've had many people tell me over the years, well, you know, the Lord's going to give me the winning lottery ticket, and uh, the Lord's going to bless me with a million dollars. Well, you know, the Lord says himself in Deuteronomy that he's given us, you and I, the power to gain wealth, success, and prosperity in this life your success, not only in the kingdom of God, but in life in general, is up to you. He's already empowered you to do it. What you do with it is up to you. Galatians 6, verse 7, don't delude yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. A person reaps what he sows. And here's the biblical model for kingdom behavior within the congregation. Romans 12, verses 10 through 16, love each other devotedly and with brotherly love and set examples for each other and showing respect. Don't be lazy when hard work is needed, but serve the Lord with spiritual fervor. Did did you get that verse 11? Don't be lazy when hard work is needed, but serve the Lord with spiritual fervor. Verse 12 says, rejoice in your hope, be patient in your troubles, and continue steadfastly in prayer. Verse 13, share what you have with God's people and practice hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless them, don't curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be sensitive to each other's needs. Don't think yourself better than others, but make humble people your friends. Don't be conceited. You know what this parallels with? The woman of noble character in Proverbs. Did you notice the relationship and the synergy between these two passages that they share a lot of the same common practices and principles, both as an individual and in a communal setting, in the Kehelid, in the congregation. is very profound. So how should we serve the Lord? How should we serve others? First, we do so by motivated obedience. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4, you're to follow Adonai, your God, fear him, obey his mitzvah, listen to what he says, serve him and cling to him. This is very profound. That's almost a sexual term Cling to him in the Hebrew. It means to be in him, to be one with him, as a woman and a man are one when they get married together. Next, we motivate by gratitude. 1 Samuel 12, verse 24, Only fear Adonai and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for think what great things he has done for you. Listen, I know we're in difficult, troubled times, but yet Isaac reaped a hundredfold harvest in the midst of famine in Genesis 26. Fear the Lord, not the world. Serve him faithfully with all your heart and think and ponder about the great things he has done for you. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Be motivated by gratitude. Next, motivate by gladness. Psalms 100 verse two, serve Adonai with gladness. Enter his presence with joyful songs. Merriment doth the heart well like good medicine. For anybody who's known me for any length of time, in fact, Rabbitson says, only believe him when he's on the bima. Because uh, I'm full of salt and vinegar, if you know what I'm saying. I like to mess around a little bit. I like to uh, have fun and joy. And uh, and again, uh, you know, it's a little bit of charisma. A lot of people are down and sour. There's a lot of curmudgeons in this world. That doesn't draw people to you. But the joy of the Lord, that's your strength. Merriment does the heart well like good medicine. Serve Adonai with gladness. Enter his presence with joyful songs. I love this scripture. And you must be motivated by forgiveness, not guilt. Isaiah 6, verses 6 through 8. One of the supreme flew to me with a glowing coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. This is one of the angels. He touched my mouth with it and said, Here, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is gone. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of Adonai saying, Whom should I send? Who will go for us? And I answered, I am here. Send me, Hanani. Listen, you've got to be motivated by forgiveness, not guilt. Remember, I just shared earlier, Moses was what? He's a murderer. Oh, and P.S., Shaul Paul, one of the greatest uh, emissaries in the New Testament, what was he? Huh. Yeah, he also was a murderer, killing Messianic believers when he was a non-believer. Listen, I struggled the first year or two when the Lord had called me, knowing who I was in my background. I'm like, why in the world would he choose me? How could he possibly choose me? The Lord chooses whom he wants. If he's chosen you then go forward in power and in truth, not in guilt and condemnation.